podcast has bad words. <laughs> this is the Minimalist Private Podcast. We're here with Jessica Lynn Williams. Ryan. Yes, and I'm Ryan Nicodemus. No, patrons, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, your support means the absolute world, not just to me, but to Josh, and more importantly, the other three people in this room, because uh, because of you, Jess can keep her lights on and buy her dog some dog food. <laughs> yes, thank you guys so much. It really means a lot. I love it. I love what I get to do, and I love the message that we spread, and the fact that you guys enable it is makes it all the more sweeter. Yes, Amen. 100%. Um, I really want to make a sweeter joke right there, but I won't. <laughs> My well, alter ego, sweeter girls. So, Josh, you and I were talking a little bit about um, the the opting in versus opting out. Yeah. And uh, go ahead. It sounds like you want to say something. Well, no, I, I uh, go ahead. So, so yeah, we were talking about how th- this has to play out, mm-hmm. and with social media. And with apps in general on your phone, I mean, I think social media are the most pernicious apps that we can download on our phone. Yeah. But we have the option of opting out. Now, I, I this spilled over into a conversation where I where, where I said, you know, we've got to let this play out. We can kind of take care of ourselves. Um, but I made the comment that the environment also is something that is going to have to play out. And right. you made you made a really good point about the environment versus. The social media. Well, it started because you watched The Social Dilemma about a week ago. Yes. And then Jess hadn't seen it, so you rewatched it with her. Mm-hmm. And th- what you walked away from it with is, we're fucked. We're screwed. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're absolutely screwed. But, it, I, but we ha- it has to play out, though. That's where I tried to end the minimal episode is w- the hope that I have that it wasn't communicated in the documentary, I felt, was, yeah, I think we're fucked. Yeah. And, and you... We can have regulation around this, but it's not going to happen soon enough. No. And so you have to save yourself. The ship is going down. Mm-hmm. You are your own life raft. And the way you can do this is opting out, not completely of social media, although that's an option, mm-hmm. but but opting out in a way where you're being responsible with your attention. Mm-hmm. And what I where that's different from the environment is I can't opt out of bad air. Right. Right. If uh, we're polluting, you know, think of uh, peak L.A. in 1990. Oh that that was where the emissions were the worst. Yeah. And that's when they... they <laughs> it's like if you lit a match, the whole city would have just blown up. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you see pictures from the uh, 80s, and it's, it, it's horrific. Mm. And the difference is, like, social media, I have to go to it. Mm-hmm. With the environmental stuff, the only thing that's going to fix that is regulation right because i can't save myself from it i could contribute less Mm -hmm. i can walk to work instead of driving Mm -hmm. i can use less power i I can do all the responsible things myself right but that isn't going to make the air any cleaner for me necessarily unless everyone opts in with social media though, I think it's a little bit different. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk a bit about that. Jess, um, today we're basically gonna talk about social media minimalism. I also have this article, maybe it's a good place to start, this more about less segment. Our friend Cal Newport has this um, this article that he just came out with recently that I thought was a perfect jump off point because it's called, Do Smartphones Make Us Dumber? And there is a study that mm. he cites here. I'm just going to read this and we can talk <laughs> about it. I feel like it. we could just riff on that question. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what it says. A reader recently pointed me toward an intriguing article published in 2017 in the Journal for the Associ- Association of Consumer Research. It was titled, Brain Drain. The mere presence of one's own smartphone reduces available cognitive capacity. Think about that for a second. Whoa. The mere 
presence. And so my phone is not on the table for a reason. It's in the drawer over there, and here's why. The authors of the paper report that the result of a straight for, uh, report the results of a straightforward experiment. Subjects are invited into a laboratory to participate in some assessment exercises. Before commencing, however, they're asked to put their phones away. Some subjects are asked to place their phone on the desk next to their computer on which they're working. Some are told to put their phone in their bag. Some are told to put their phone in the other room. The experimenters had clever ways of manipulating these conditions without arousing suspicion. So it wasn't just, hey, we're figuring out how good you are without your smartphone. Mm. They had clever ways of, of, of disguising this, right? Mm. Each subject was then subjected to a battery of standard cognitive capacity tests. The result? Subjects measured notably lower on working memory capacity and fluid intelligence when the phone was next to them on the desk versus out of sight. This was true even though all the cases, in all the cases, the subjects didn't actually use their phones. So the phone was there on the table. They never used it. And it made you dumber just by it being in your presence. Mm. This is why I am so against so against going to dinner with someone mm -hmm. or being at the dinner table and having the phone right there here's what that means if just you and i are having dinner and you have your phone on the table it means hey josh i think what you're saying is the most important thing unless anyone else says something <laughs> you're the most important thing for now right right <laughs> exactly yeah and, and anything you know oh a tweet Sorry, I got to get it. Oh, my God. And, in fact, we saw that in The Social Dilemma. I thought they did a great job of those reenactments. Uh, and, in fact, I know, you know the cookie jar thing where they lock the phones? I That's been a hack that's been online for several years now. Mm -hmm. I've seen several people do that locked cookie jar thing mm -hmm. uh, where they, they the whole family put their, <laughs> their phone in it. Or you could do a bowl of water. Everyone throws their phone <laughs> in there, and then you put it in the freezer and freeze it. <laughs> now, by the time... Or jello molds. <laughs> right. And then when the ice melts, you just get your phone back. <laughs> it's time to use your phone again. <laughs> yeah, uh, patrons, go ahead and try that experiment. Let us know how it goes in the comments. It was that rule seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, let's the frozen see here. Bowl. <laughs> the frozen bowl rule. <laughs> the mere presence of the device, in other words, sapped cognitive resources. That's what's happening here. Mm. The effect was particularly pronounced in those who self-reported to be heavy phone users. Mm. I think we're only scratching the surface on the damage caused by our current technology habits. As I argued in the book Digital Minimalism, these tools are both powerful and indifferent to your best interests. Until you decide to adapt a minimalist ethos and deploy technology intentionally to serve specific values you care about, the damage it inflicts will continue to accumulate. Mm, it's interesting. Deploy technology technology intentionally? Is mm -hmm. that what they said? Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, Jess and I were talking about this, how, you know, with, with the minimalists and with our business, social media... It's very useful. Mm -hmm. We can get some awesome wor uh, words out there. Some communicate some really nice things. Give people some hope. Give people a different perspective. But what were you? What were you telling me about that though, Jess? Do you remember? Okay, I'll remind you. <laughs> you were telling me how our our values have to be in alignment. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. We were talking about that, but specifically with the tools that we're using, they tell us how to use it. 
they so when we use it for the minimalists we have to do it yes do you remember this now yes yeah the con- yeah the conversation was and actually we've had this conversation before when we're looking at social media really um in order to even to be seen in the algorithm your goals have to be in alignment with the social media platform's goals and yes. whether that comes in terms of uh the type of media that you're putting it together you know you're putting out whether mm-hmm. it's um gifts or if it's text or video or photo or whatever mm-hmm. but not only that but also i think probably uh you're rewarded by what you say specifically. They have they have an agenda too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and they and they push it on us. Basically, they're saying, "Hey, look, if you want to use our platform, mm-hmm. feel free to use our platform. Um, but if you actually wanted to get engagement, because we know how to, we want to aggregate as many as many eyeballs as possible. This is how you have to use our tool mm-hmm. in order to get those engagements. Mm-hmm. Did you say aggregate elbows? Yes, eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> So let's uh, really let's talk about the algorithm then, because we we did say we would talk about this, whether or not the yeah. al- algorithm is good or bad. I, I think the answer to that, in my opinion, is is no. It's neither good nor bad. Uh, algorithms yeah. are they simply are. Well, yeah. And, and and so there are bad algorithms that send us down a rabbit hole of tribalism. That type of thing, I think is bad Mm -hmm. there are other algorithms that help us you know netflix has a great algorithm and and i was just talking to them actually about how their algorithm works and it's proprietary so um we can't talk about the details but ultimately what i can tell you is they don't collect uh demographic data They, they don't know if you are White, black, Asian, whatever. Rich, poor. They yeah. don't know your age. That's beautiful. Yeah. Because, you know, we all, well, so many of us watch Netflix and the fact that they don't collect that data, they're a massive company. I mm-hmm. think that really says a lot about our commonalities, like yeah. as individuals, that they're looking at these patterns and they don't even see it as something to pay attention to. Yeah. Well, because you're not the product, right? And, and yeah. So, because they don't, they, they don't do advertisements, right? And so mm. that's why I think their ethos is in line with ours, even though they are certainly a major corporation. Uh, and and so you, you pay them a monthly fee in order to opt out from advertising. In fact, I do the same thing with YouTube. I yeah. pay the 12 bucks a month for the premium version of YouTube, and I never see an ad. But also, Ella never sees an ad, which mm. is even much more important. She's far more impressionable than, than I am with respect to those, although I'm still impressionable uh, even as one of the minimalists. It, so I think the algorithm is... Neither good nor bad necessarily. It depends on which algorithm we're talking about. Yeah, it's interesting because the answer that uh, Zuckerberg gave in this documentary was, "Oh, the we need we need to come up with an algorithm that fixes the algorithm." <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're like throwing more AI on top of this already AI problem, which is all done through through algorithms. That's incredibly quixotic to, to think that you can fix technology with technology. Right. Yeah, exactly. So with, with an algorithm in general, um, yeah, I mean, you're right. It, it depends on what it's used for. But the algorithms, as they stand right now, it's scary, man. Like what scared the hell out of me with this movie the most was how they gave the example. It was, I mean, I'm really bad with names. The gentleman uh, with the dreadlocks. Who wrote the book Ten Ways to Jaron Lanier? Yeah, so Jaron talks about he's like, imagine if you went to Wikipedia and you looked up a definition of whatever. Yeah, and Wikipedia said before it presented you with uh, the definition, it would say, "Oh, well, Ryan likes this, Ryan likes that, uh, whatever, yada yada yada." Here's a definition customized mm-hmm. for Ryan instead of being a you know. 
uh, unbiased definition. Here's what it is. It would be a customizable definition for you. Yeah. It, it, I mean, that, that just blows my mind to think about. But what he what he basically said was that's what we're living in right now. Yeah. When when you go to so, uh, social media and you start to look at things, it is it is giving you a customized world version that it wants you to see because it thinks that it can send you deeper down the rabbit hole mm-hmm. of gaining more of your attention. And what this really helped me is show a little sympathy for people, a little compassion for people, because sometimes, you know, I'll see something, I don't know whether it's a flatter thing or whatever it is, right? Like just something that we might, most of us be able to agree on that this is just a really wild conspiracy theory. Yeah. And you look at the person that's sharing that and you're like, what is their problem? Mm-hmm. They are so stupid. What is going on? Why don't they see what I see? They literally aren't seeing what you're seeing. It's yeah. it's unbelievable. So, yes, the algorithms need a ton of work, but right now they are inherently pernicious. Oh, I don't agree with that. You had me all all the way up until that last sentence there. Well, I, I, I guess when I say the algorithms, I'm not saying every single algorithm in the world. Yeah. But the the algorithms that they spend the most time on, they're not they're they're pernicious in the sense that they're not trying to see what they can do for the good they're trying to see how they can aggregate your eyeballs more totally disagree with that okay um you had me up until that very i yeah. agree with everything expound, you said expound what you disagree I mean, with uh, netflix does a great job of finding and netflix isn't the only one we can talk We're about, about social services. media well uh, okay um but i think you can map this on to social media i think well, no i think you can but i'm saying what, what i was saying specifically so maybe we are agreeing uh that the algorithms with social media specifically because that's uh-huh. what this conversation is about right the social dilemma right and so we even need to define social media is youtube social media i don't know yes you, uh, yeah youtube twitter cal, cal newport actually brings up a really great um argument i think and i i agree with with cal on this i think social media or i think youtube is both social media and isn't depending on how it is used and so yeah, because it is a broadcast medium like a television in a way uh, it's like dem- on-demand TV, effectively, just like Netflix is. It's mm-hmm. just shorter videos, most of the- actually not always, but yeah. um, so it, it acts as that in mm-hmm. one respect. But it's also individual generated, like social media, and so in that respect, it's sort of it's a hybrid yeah. broadcast system and social media. A place like Netflix, for example, and then I think we can map this onto YouTube and probably other places as well. I think what Netflix does is it wants you to not waste your time constantly yes. and channel if, surfing. Right, and if every single social media outlet would copy what Netflix does as a platform, mm-hmm. I think we would be in a lot better situation. What do you think about this algorithm stuff, Jess? You got any input here? Yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like, I mean, really, so so not only does our line, like, going back to the social media thing, like our alignments have to, our values have to be in line with the social media platforms, but also... Uh, your interests have to be in line with what they're presenting to you. Mm. And so I think it's also a little bit different between Netflix and even YouTube to a degree because Netflix and YouTube are both like long form. If Mm -hmm. you're sitting down and watching something on Netflix, it's like 20 minutes. But really like when you're on social media, you're pretty much just channel surfing the entire time. You never really land on anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that also does change things. But I think that you're right in the sense that like, Netflix is, I think, a little bit different because their goal is to make sure that you're It's a one-way street with Netflix. It's a one-way yes. street. You They're are like, consuming. They want you to be entertained versus because that will make sure that you come back because the um, the activity, I guess, would be entertainment. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like what would bring you back to social media, I don't know necessarily that entertainment mm-hmm. is the goal. I think what, by all means necessary, keep them staring at the phone. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think maybe we can differentiate social media and if, if I'm way off base, tell me folks, but 
with Netflix it not being social media because it's a one-way street you are consuming. Where with YouTube, you can reply. Yeah, you, you can, can give a thumbs up on Netflix, but that's it. Right, but but there's there's a thing with social media, the interaction of of people coming together and responding to one another. This group, this huge group conversation, like you said, Jess, you got all these people sitting at the table and they all have a voice. Mm-hmm. Where, uh, so like YouTube, to me, I, yes, I mean it can it can be like in the Netflix, but it's like Netflix and. Uh huh. Um, but yeah, maybe that's what we look at as social media is like where you basically have everyone sitting at the table mm-hmm. and everyone has a megaphone that they can use. Right, and to some extent, that's a really good thing. Yeah, right. right. Like, it could be, be being able to again engage. Right. So like, Jess, we couldn't have met through Netflix, right? right. But right. we met through Twitter. I think yeah. it was Twitter, and, and mm-hmm. so like, it, it, there are those. Uh, to me, I think what we're, we differentiate is living in it versus starting with it, mm-hmm. uh, initiating a conversation, right? It's like um, a dating app. The point of a, a dating app is to eventually find a person to go on a date with, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if you're just on there swiping and, and, and nothing else, then like it, that would be similar to social media in, in mm-hmm. some respects, right? But if you're using social media to augment connectivity mm. and i think if we're being charitable to facebook let's say which is my least favorite platform but if you're being charitable to them i think that's what they were trying to do initially especially when it was just colleges or whatever it was like let's connect people through this terminal yeah so that they can actually connect in real life and yeah. over time unfortunately it mud slid mud slid down this uh slope and i think it was that that mudslide <sighs> was caused and then propelled by the advertising model and so when we get yeah. back to it maybe it's not the algorithm that is the problem mm. it it's the advertising model that's the problem yeah Be- the because go, netflix doesn't care if you're watching for 24 hours a day, mm. they don't make more money if you're watching for 24 hours a day. They they still make the whatever it is, 15 bucks a month. Right. Facebook, for every moment that you're on there, they make more money from your eyeballs. Yeah. 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 There's some, there's something there for sure with the advertising model. That's really I mean, interesting. That, that, that's really, I never really thought about it. How like the, the time that you give, that's how they get the payout versus the time that you give on Netflix. They don't really care if you're signed up, you're signed up. It doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, they want to give you value. Yeah. Right. You talked about entertaining and I think that's half of it. I think the other part is, in, is, is information or you could even call it education, you know, uh, informing, right? Like a, a film like social dilemma is partially entertaining, but it's informative more than anything. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and they did a great job. Uh, with that, I do want to talk about, we, we talked about this briefly on the minimal episode, but let's circle back to it so we can get into the digital clutter dis- experiment. The two things you can do right now to improve your relationship with social media. Yeah. Uh, number one is delete social media from your phone. Mm-hmm. Now, let's get a little more granular on that. There are some other things you can do. I write about this a little bit in Love People Use Things. There's a whole technology chapter in there. Mm-hmm. And really... So that that book is a relationship book, but it's our relationship book. It's a relationship book about our relationships outside of people relationships. In fact, it starts with our relationship with the stuff. Then it goes into the relationship with the truth, self, values, money, creativity. And really, we can't talk about creativity unless we talk about what's preventing us from being creative, which is distractions. We can't talk about distractions without talking about our 
biggest weapon of mass distraction and that's technology mm-hmm. we can't talk about technology without talking about social media and so mm-hmm. that's where we are right here but on the phone itself i found that no email no social media minimal notifications i know uh, in fact at the end of social dilemma they said turn off all notifications i agree with that mm-hmm. but then turn on the ones that are actually beneficial to you yeah. like i have a a um, exercise counter and it lets me know when I'm halfway to my uh, step goal throughout the day. Yeah. So what are the truly important notifications? They're never from people. I don't, it's not about being able to reach me immediately because if you have an emergency, you should call 911. You shouldn't call me. Yeah. I've got two different profiles, like the little switch between silent and not silent. Okay. It's like if I flip that switch, mm-hmm. I'm waiting on a phone call or I'm uh, waiting on a text message. Like I know that I have to be ready for it. And then when I switch it off, it's like nice. I'm not expecting anything. I like that. I, mm-hmm. I think that's a good pro- approach. And then also when I carry the phone around with me, I tend to, to leave it in airplane mode. Yeah. Sometimes I forget. But um, is or, it, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, isn't it weird? Like I will, so I'll put it on silent mode and let's say you call me and I don't answer. And then like, you know, I get into doing whatever I'm doing and totally forget about my phone, which is great that I can do that. Yeah. But there's this like overwhelming sense of guilt that I get mm-hmm. when I'm like, Oh, I miss Milburn's call. He doesn't think he's important to me. He thinks that I'm uh, ignoring him or whatever. It's it's crazy. Like it's in with anyone. Like if I miss sure. their call, yeah, it's really wild. I think that's that. I think what unfortunately has happened is we have mimetic expectations. Mm-hmm. We, we the expectation it's always been mimetic in a way, but like it has been uh, or societal. I guess we could call it right. Where society before dictated like if I leave you a voicemail, call me back in twenty four hours, and now it's like twenty four seconds. Yeah. And and all we've done is we've radically condensed the accepted time the only way we can take that back is to is to do a better job setting those expectations it's funny i someone from netflix emailed me last week and um it was like midday on a monday and i'd already been done with email for the day i usually check email once a day um sometimes i'll check it twice a day Mm -hmm. often i'll check it zero times a day yeah and and doing that, they sent me the email. I had already been on email that day. Uh, and so they, it was like 12.30 p.m. Mm. Hey, do you have time for a phone call either today at 4 p.m. or tomorrow at 9 a.m.? Missed it. Right. Didn't get around the email the next morning. Missed that. Mm. They follow up two other times with emails. And I'm just like, hey, I... And by the way, they have a particular expectation, right? Right. Now, thankfully... The, the this is the assistant of the person who actually wanted to get a hold of me. Mm-hmm. The the person who wanted to get a hold of me just texted me. Hey, hey Josh. Yeah. Do you have time for a phone call later today? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm not constantly going and checking and, because I don't have email on my phone. In fact, we were talking to Jacob, the uh, pr- one of the producers of our next film, uh, Less Is Now. And um, he's like, hey, yeah, can you send me the latest uh, cut of this new intro we're working on? And um, I'm like, yeah, I pull out my phone. I'm like, what am I doing? I literally can't send it to you. No. Mm. I'm like, so I go into my notepad. I write down, send Jacob new intro. Like, mm-hmm. because I have a reminder and then I'll sort of batch it and I'll take care of it there. And I find that batching work, including mm-hmm. social media. And Jess, I know that this is something that you do now and you stay incredibly organized with all of the, the social media responsibilities. Yeah. You can't be on all day, every day, just checking social media. That it almost feels like you have to be but 
that would be actually less effective than what you're doing right now. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. And actually, the article that you talked about when you were like, if the phone's on the table, then that is going to make you less intelligent. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. And I really personally, when I think about my phone and the role that it plays in my life when I am living my life, I think about my phone like a door and it's a door to whatever room I'm in at the time. And any like if it's on loud, anybody can swing the door open mm-hmm. and be like, like, we're going to do we're going to talk right now about this thing. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. so I try and think about it like if somebody was to walk into this door right now, how would I respond? Mm. Would I be like, you know, I now is Sean would shoot them. <laughs> right? yeah, <he> would. <laughs> and I would, so I would say I, personally, I'm thinking, well, now is not the time. I'm not probably like composed enough to handle whatever situation you're going to bring to me in the first mm-hmm. place anyways. Right. And so I feel, I feel the same way though. I feel, I do feel this sense of this obligation, like you were talking about, I guess I'm pointing at you. What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> I do feel the same way, but I think at the same time also, um, it's also more respectful to the people that are trying to contact you because you can walk into the situation with a clear mind and you're like, I am intentionally coming up to talk to you, to communicate mm. with you and it really established time. Cause I don't know about you guys, like, but if I'm on the phone or like, and, and I'm, I'm talking to somebody and they're distracted, I feel frustrated that like they can't give me their full attention. So I think also it's just being respectful of like your life and the life, the lives of the people around you. Yeah. yeah. I like that idea of, you know, yeah, take phone calls when you're ready for it. Cause yeah, if it's, if you're not ready to handle the situation, like then you're, you're actually not respecting that person as much as you can. Exactly. Yeah. We could talk about this since it's on, on, uh, Patreon, but one thing that we're, uh, considering working on is a digital minimalism documentary. This stays between us and the family here. That's right. Um, and, and the reason it would be way different from what you saw with the social dilemma. And the reason being is it would be more like, It'd be like social dilemma plus supersize me uh, in a way. Like Ryan mm. and I like to do minimalist experiments, stoical mm. experiments. And so imagine what it would look like. And it could even be two different versions of this. But to get rid of now, we've we've done these things in the past uh, with different uh, levels of, of success and awareness and, and um, lessons learned from this. But I, back in 2011 specifically, I did a bunch of these 2011, 2012. I uh, got rid of my phone, got rid of my TV, got rid of my home internet, got rid of, uh, I'd like to get rid of email as an experiment. So a lot of things that we could do as an experiment, walking away, not so that you walk away permanently, although that might be a case, but so you walk back to some of these things in a more intentional way. And that really leads me into the Cal Newport's digital declutter experiment from his book, Digital Minimalism, which I want to talk about. Before I do that, though, let's round out the smartphone conversation here. One other thing to do besides deleting social media and email from your phone is putting the phone on grayscale. Mm. I don't know if you've tried this. Uh, iPhone makes it relatively difficult. Just Google it. How do I put my iPhone on grayscale? You'll be able to figure it out. Mm. But it makes the phone so much less enticing. It yeah. makes it so boring and utilitarian. But maybe that's what you want from it right now is you want it to be a bit more utilitarian. And so it's not enticing. It's not. And by the way, it's engineered that way. The dots are red for a reason. The blue texts are more appealing than the green text for a reason. Mm-hmm. And so what you're doing is you're getting rid of that that neurological programming that is instilled onto you via their 
apps and you're taking back a little bit of control there. I also mentioned the four year rule, which is a Cal Newport thing. And it really just means putting your phone somewhere, having a home base yeah. for your phone in your house. Now I like the junk drawer because it's literally out of sight. And so when I put it into a drawer, it mimics this experiment where it's not just, it's not on the table face down. Mm -hmm. It's not uh, in a bag next to me. It's in another room in a drawer. There are several barriers there. Yes. Yeah. And I, I really like that. Let's talk about this digital declutter experiment. So uh, Cal Newport, he did this experiment. 1,600 people joined him for this experiment when he did it. Now, this is different from a digital detox. You can go back and listen to our digital minimalism episode and the, the accompanying Maximal episode we did with Cal Newport. I really enjoyed that episode last year. But he did this experiment with 1,600 people. Not a detox, but a digital declutter, meaning get rid of all of these um, non-essential but potentially value-adding, but non-essential technologies for a 30-day period. Yeah. And so not your smartphone necessarily, although that can be part of it. You get to determine this, by the way. But social media, certainly. YouTube, probably. Um, not your email necessarily, but if you want to throw it in there, great. You could mm -hmm. certainly do that. Mm -hmm. There are other technologies that you wouldn't get rid of your electric toothbrush nope probably don't want to get rid of that for 30 days right <laughs> so th that's not something that is but any any technology that is distracting you removing it from your life for 30 days you're going to feel withdrawal symptoms and i bet even on jess you do screenless saturdays and and as the minimalist we we do screenless saturdays quite often if you go to the minimalists.com screenless you can find a video about that but I'm sure there are moments during Screenless Saturday, if you don't have the phone with you, where you feel that twitch. Mm -hmm. Talk about that. Yeah, that's a really tough one. I think it's a hard one because when I when I look on the like when I'm wanting to look on the phone, I realize that I'm really not looking for anything. Oh. And that kind of like hurts to realize when yeah. you're like, I know that there's really no point to this. And like I was talking about before, just being confronted with yourself is a really tough thing because. Um, it's where you realize your inadequacies. It reminds me of, um, there's this really, I really love Jordan Peterson's work. And he talked about once in one of his lectures, he was talking about how we have the Statue of Liberty and how he's like, I wish on the other side of the country that off of the coast of California, we had the Statue of Responsibility. <laughs> and I really loved that so much um, because I think that what we're seeing here is that we have a lot of liberty. I think that the internet really is the epitome of freedom. Mm. It's like you can you can do whatever you want with it. Like it's especially like if you're an adult and you don't have any like you're, you don't have any like parental controls. And I mean, so it really sheds light on the value of the responsibility of asking these important questions like, why am I looking to my phone right now? Is there something empty inside of me that I don't want to confront? Or is there something like in my home that I don't want to confront or in my life that I don't want to confront? And, and it kind of reminds me of anxiety, right? Mm. Like how anxiety can lead you back to the problems in your life in a way that's effective if you can walk towards it without losing your mind. Mm. And I think that stepping away from our phones gives us the opportunity to do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. And and it's the growing up, we had a you had a TV in your house, I'm sure, Ryan. Mm -hmm. I, I had, we had one of those big box TVs that like sat on the floor, right? <laughs> and it had like the knobs and stuff. 
Uh, console TV. Thank you, Podcast Sean, <laughs> for the win here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll take uh, big boxes for 500 please. <laughs> um, yeah, and so you had this console TV. We had one TV there. And as Jess alluded to during the minimal episode, it was a communal thing. But also, you left the house, and it couldn't possibly go with you. And um, But now, we don't leave the house without the phone. We don't leave mm. the car. And if we do, yeah. we... We panic. Yeah. Can we talk about the social dilemma? And did you see any problems with the film? Um, it seemed a little zeitgeisty to me at the end. Okay, tell me about that. Well, I, the, I've only seen one zeitgeist movie, and it was really good about like capitalism and the reason why. Uh, you know, really, like, kind of. I mean, it doesn't say this specifically, but my take on it is how we live in a crony capitalistic world or a country, I guess. Yeah. And uh, at the end of the movie, like everyone like piles their money up, and they just start, they start burning their money in the streets. And to me, like it, that's when I say zeitgeisty. It's like this, you know, this imaginary thing that would never happen. And quite honestly, I don't know if it would be the best thing to happen. Mm. Um, but that's how I felt. The social dilemma went to that point um, at the end of it, where yeah. it was like, all right, all right, y'all. Like, yes, we need to, we need to do something, but, um, I'm not, I don't want to spoil the ending. I guess we're spoiling the rest of it. I could spoil the ending. What yeah. do you think? Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Fast forward 10 seconds if you don't want to hear it. But yeah, at the end of it, it just has this whole thing where like all of a sudden, like the computers start shutting down and like all the algorithms get taken away. And it's yeah. like, I mean, that's just not, it's not feasible. It's that, that, that doesn't make sense. What does make sense is reforming. Yeah. And maybe maybe there was a little hint of reforming at the end of the movie a little bit, but but that but you asked about problems. That's my uh, one critique that stood out to me for sure. Yeah. Jess, do you have any feedback about the film? Anything where you're like that doesn't resonate or, or there are problems with the film? I like what you said about the fact that I don't think that they provided very good solutions. I think that really what it comes down to, as I was talking about the value of responsibility in conjunction with liberty, is that really at the end of the day, it does come down to us and our decisions. And yeah. they are, obviously, they do have a leg up on us. They have so many things behind them, including money and psychologists and advertisers and products that will entice us. Mm. So I think really it's a matter of arming ourselves. And I think bringing that awareness into the situation is what will save us at the end of the day. So Mm. like placing emphasis on that to me is very important. I love that you said at the end of the day, these podcasts more than I have. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jordan, Netflix's Jordan Moore. He, um, he brought up something to me Uh, yesterday. I think it was. Jordan, you, you you were saying that like you watched it and it was like, oh my God, this this is awful. And then just like started scrolling Instagram. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the irony. That's yeah, funny. I think there's, I'm not alone in that. It's like the, the first thing I thought of to do was to pull out my phone and look at Instagram because I'm, I, I wanted to look at it. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm part of the problem. I'm, I'm addicted, but I, I wanted to look at it with an well, like with a third eye, I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna look but and see their smart decision. Look at them; they're yeah. they're so clever." But, but well, it, it almost what happens here is it's about leverage in a way. It's um, when I think about when I think about the end of the film, you didn't they didn't provide you with enough leverage, basically, <clears throat> right? To say, um, "I need to make a change immediately." 
and yeah. and even now I don't know that really? you you have felt you you don't feel compelled <clears throat> have you made you've watched the film and it is depressing but you didn't feel compelled to change anything did mm-hmm. you or have you changed anything no I didn't I didn't there was not I was I I think that was kind of what I started with when I was wow. talking to you about it is that it was like there's there's nothing new about this documentary that hasn't been covered in other documentaries it's mm. just this was probably the best version of it's it. It's so well done. That's yeah. that's all that mattered. To totally. Me. But, but uh, did did any one of you change something specific after watching it? No, but uh but I've already made certain changes that um it didn't make me do any additional changes, but I'll tell you, I recommended that movie to two people uh-huh. and both of them made immediate changes. What kind of changes? What did they do? Uh, got rid of some social media apps. That's good. Yeah, deleting Facebook or deleting Twitter or whatever it is that's taking up the most of the time. Yeah, that's so interesting because I was thinking that like it totally gives, an, and it's anecdotal, right? You two have your experience and then I got the two people that recommended it to. Sure. But yeah, my, my anecdotal experiment, uh, uh, experience is that it totally motivated people to make these major changes with social media in yeah. their life yeah um so to me i wanted to see because i think what what could have happened if you and I, they did it during the credits a little bit I, mm-hmm. I i talked about that but like if we would have been given even three things you can do right two th- like the two things i even mentioned take all social media apps off your phone use the four-year rule mm. like boom here's at least two things that are going to move you in the right direction that mm-hmm. compel some sort of action i would have loved to have seen that and and you know, some sort of solution there yep. also i would have loved to see here's here's the the second problem i have i would love, love to see a counter argument from some of the tech companies mm. like what does a zuckerberg-esque figure actually say like where how do they disagree and i'm thinking about this with respect again it's a bit self-serving but our our next film is on netflix it's called less is now and we have like annie leonard in there and then we have tk coleman and the two of them disagree just about everything probably but we 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 push them up against each other and you see like when she's like there's this huge problem with growth and and the tk then the very next scene is like i don't think the problem is actually about with growth i think it has to do with this and you're like oh there's there's a, a counter argument mm-hmm. here even though there's a symbiosis and i think there's just different beliefs that get you toward the same values yeah i, I didn't i didn't see that and i would have loved to seen the sort of there wasn't a strong counter argument yeah. yeah i mean there were some counter arguments like you know uh the intentions behind so- social media and certain things like the like button like yeah. i had no idea i thought the like button was there only to make you engage more and then in the documentary it was like no we actually created the like button because we wanted to spread love and cheer positivity. and positivity yeah um t- talking about the, you know, the, the man talking about um the like button that he helped invent uh also with different um there's just there's different communal aspects that they were hoping to get with it, but yeah, I totally agree. Like there wasn't a really strong counter argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. One thing that I thought was really great when I was I last week I was actually doing research on their website to see kind of different creative ways that we can communicate our film to our audience, and one of the things that I thought was amazing is um, on their website they had a notification on the top. Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> there was a little, like, there was a red circle on it. And, of course, I clicked on it. And then it was amazing. It was so good. They're like, we knew you would click on this. And this is why. And it was so beautiful to have the experience of, like, 
knowing that I like fell victim to like I, I fell prey to what they were doing and that I am not an exception. Mm. And I really, really like that. We, none of us are yeah. an exception, no matter how mindful or how much we meditate, we are. And no matter how good our intentions are, we're all still human. And I don't think that Ooh. we can kid ourselves by thinking that we can somehow evolve out of the primal humans that we are. This this just really emphasizes my thought how it's changed with social media as a tool to if you're being manipulated it's not if the tool's manipul manipulating you it's something different yeah and i would love to sit here and be like well look at us but see we do it differently and mm -hmm. we use it as a tool specifically that is that's that's it's, it's to me it's 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 kind of bullcrap like mm -hmm. no if the tool is affecting you what Dude, it's been bothering me ever since we got off that fall, that uh, call with Netflix mm -hmm. where someone had typed a message during, because you know on the video chat, mm -hmm. when you're doing a video conference, you can just like a message box. Mm -hmm. Well, someone had typed a message and I saw it flash up and then there's a little notification and you know with the message bubble and it was distracting me from the entire conversation. Cause I was like, oh, we're missing out on something important. Somebody put something in the message box that we need to read and consider talking about this. And it was driving me crazy until at the very end of it, we were all saying bye and I whatever and clicked on it real quick. And I don't even know what it said. I just remember reading and thinking, Ryan, you're a moron for letting that notification distract you. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, none of us are immune to it. Yeah. yeah. The message actually says something about, it was to Matt that he need more Red Bull because he spent like, I don't know, 72 hours straight oh reworking God. the first seven minutes of yeah, our film. Yeah. Um, but you know what? To that point, though, even if I thought that I was missing out on a funny joke, uh -huh. that would still bother me. Uh, and and th to me, like this just goes back to we could sit here and say, well, as long as you do it right, it's a tool. Mm -hmm. um, but we have to be honest and say that we could try our hardest to use it as a tool. But it is using us, no matter how we use it. I think I think it can, but I still think it can be a tool if sure. we don't carry it around with us. And so, if we have scheduled time to get on it, to the, the same way we would with the TV. Mm -hmm. um, if like with TV, for example, I try to schedule about three hours a week mm -hmm. of viewing, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes I don't even do that much. But if it's scheduled there and I've given myself permission, it no longer feels like it's using me in a way. Yeah. It feels more deliberate at least. Yeah. Oh, that, I agree with you 100%. Um, where I still haven't been convinced is, it, it, again, we could try to use it as a tool as much as possible. But if we're using it, it is 100% using us. Mm. There's no doubt about it. When you get on social media, even when you get on Netflix... I mean, Netflix has a beautiful algorithm, but they are using your data yeah. to enhance their algorithm, which good or bad, that's what it's being done. So again, um, not necessarily a terrible thing that it uses us, but it is constantly using us as while we're using it, it's constantly using us. Yeah. The, the last, the last uh, I guess, problem you I had with respect to this, and I don't know how to change this at all, but it made it seem like a very sort of like privileged problem. Like I didn't see any like poor people in the film. Oh yeah, we're, we're, but because here, here's the thing, like, right? Or or people of different color and ethnicities. Oh yeah, there was. But they called that out in the beginning of the film. They were like, "Hey, look, there's 25 white guys that determine what you know two billion people do and think and see." Yeah. Right. And don't get me wrong, I like white people. I have a white daughter. <laughs> you don't like her. <laughs> you love her, Josh. I have a half white niece. Okay. <laughs> 
Uh, I have white friends. Uh, <laughs> and um, here, here's here's what I'll say is, y- y- yeah, you're right. It was about an hour into the film before we saw a person of color who had uh, any sort of significant role mm-hmm. in in the film, and it was that was less um, frustrating to me than like. It, it did seem very sort of like privileged people problems. Oh yeah, and, and the privilege is often colorless. I mean, there are different types of privilege, sure. obviously. But uh, what I'm realizing, obviously, we have certain privileges here. And, yes. Uh, by the way, I I'm not apologizing <laughs> for that. Well, you know what's funny is this just makes me think about how Jess is very honest with her white blonde girl privilege Uh how she can get away with so much more (laughs) yeah we were doing a photo shoot yesterday in a place where we weren't supposed to be and she's like it's okay i'm a girl they won't say anything to me right they'll be like oh honey you're in the wrong area you need to get your friends out of here yeah it's but it's funny like yeah Yeah. you're right we all have our own privilege and if they saw ryan they're gonna be like hey you can't be here right now right exactly see my brother they'll have him arrested right oh my god assume that i didn't know and you know what it's one of those things where there's pros and cons to being on either side of being a white blonde girl so i'm gonna play the pros if yeah. i'm gonna experience those cons <laughs> sure just lean into it so let me let me <laughs> let me just talk about the the problem with this to me is um ryan you grew up really poor sure and and understanding those circumstances also understanding like resources are incredibly limited yes and therefore, maybe one of the most beneficial things someone has as as a person who's a low income person is having a smartphone in their pocket. They have they have the library. They have they have access to the world in a way that underprivileged people didn't have before. Yeah. And so there yeah. there there are a lot of pros there. In fact, you can get yourself out of poverty quite often if you use that correctly yeah now recognizing it's very difficult to use it correctly because of everything that we've talked about so Mm -hmm. far but to me that's the 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 devil's advocate argument is like wow for a a nominal fee uh it's not nominal to a person who doesn't have a lot of money but relative to what it used to be you have this magic device in in your pocket that can do so much for you they actually use that specific phrasing in the documentary mm-hmm. it's magic it's yeah. and how and, and and they were they were making the argument I th- I, the social dilemma the point of it was to show you how the tool is using you yes. and, it, and it dove deep into how the tool was using you right I, I i think they did um make a point to say hey look it's not that technology is bad mm-hmm. it's here Right, and here is what it's doing. Here's the wonderful things it does. It's for all intents and purposes, it is magic. You can pull out your phone, push a button, and then within a few minutes, you have a car pulling up to pick you up and to take you somewhere. Right. That that there is magic to it. Totally. Um, yeah. I mean, I do agree. Like, maybe they could have because you're saying the problem is is they didn't present. And they didn't present how a phone could be useful to someone who's poor. Well, and, and just how, yes, but also how the experience is different for a poor person. I mean, you and I grew up incredibly poor, and then in our 20s, we made a lot, a lot of money in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. And what I'm looking back at is like, wow, maybe I could have used that thing in a way. Now, maybe I wouldn't have as well. But I'm saying maybe that potential was there to not just entertain myself, but inform myself in ways that I couldn't have otherwise. Yeah. Or maybe I'm lying to myself. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I think uh I I, I don't 
I don't think the documentary could have gone to a space to be like, well, here's why it's okay for poor people to have a cell phone because it wasn't about it wasn't about a, the technology being bad. It was about how the technology is manipulating us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I yeah, but and I may, do agree. Maybe with the you. experience isn't any different, depending no matter where you are in the socioeconomic scale. Yeah. And if so, that that's fine. But wouldn't it have been cool to see a recreation of? A dysfunctional family, like what you and I grew up in, mm. and maybe how how does that apply differently? Yeah, I do see what you're saying. I'm not. Yeah. I, I'm not saying they they should have done that. By the way, uh, just to be clear, this thing far exceeded my expectations. Phenomenal piece of oh, filmmaking. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Beautiful. I saw it Same. twice, and by the end of the second time, I'm like, this is still awesome. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Beautifully done. Uh, incredibly well edited. Uh, the score was pretty decent as well. Like the whole thing was was put together in a way that I just applaud them. Bravo to the makers of The Social Dilemma. We have a voicemail from Anna. Let's dive into this. Let's do it. What about self-esteem? How have you struggled with this and which things have helped? Uh, did minimalist influence this in any way? So Anna's calling from Mexico and she's asking about self-esteem. And I thought this was an ideal question for the social media episode 100 percent because uh, i think nothing erodes our self-esteem quite as facilely as, as comparisons the, yeah as comparison and then of course we have this comparison machine yeah. that travels with us all day yeah that's certainly a problem um i think really when it comes down to it i mean social media is the vector through which we're experiencing that com comparison but ultimately we're always comparing ourselves to each other we're always looking to each other kind of be like am i doing this right mm -hmm. and i think that um really when it comes down to it we have to always remember that um that we all are coming to the table with different tools like we're talking about the social media table but like i mean just in life in general like I don't I, I grew up with really great parents and they equipped me with the tools to function in the world effectively mm. and um, good not, parent privilege yes I do have good parent privilege yeah. and I'm grateful for it and and I think that like knowing that you have that is amazing and and knowing that other people may not have those privileges that you have but they have other privileges that maybe allow them to see light or see the life in a different light mm. that you might not see so, I mean, when, when I think about comparison, you know, um, I guess for me, uh, I do yoga. I recently had an endometriosis diagnosis last year and I had a really tough surgery and tough diagnosis. And I have a lot of limitations surrounding that that make my yoga poses feel far less beautiful than they could. And it's an awful feeling because I realize that yoga isn't performative, but I also get excited because those are like really, they, they're called peak poses for a reason because you work up to them and you work hard every day to get there. So yeah. it's not just about the aesthetics of getting there, but it's, it's a result of working hard. Mm. So but you could just compare yourself with like Ryan's yoga poses. Yeah, you want to see my Self-esteem. Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So on social media, more looks like a downward frog. <laughs> There's frog pose. Oh man, I'll, I'll show you that one. Okay. Um, but but so when I see those poses that other these you know these women are doing, they're beautiful mm. and they look graceful. I was like doing a forward fold, and I fell over yesterday mm. <laughs> there. Um, so I think it's really realizing you. Know, I'm coming to the table with different limitations. I, I have an autoimmune disease. Mm. I also was like I had surgery, so I 
like have certain things at play that are that are oh sorry i have certain things at play that are preventing me from being to a certain position that i want to be in and really having grace and recognizing that like i'm trying hard i'm putting in the effort mm. and having the right goals for yourself that will make it so that it's satisfying when you get to that place because you can get there from a form of grace yeah yeah in a form of grace yeah. i think you know, speaking to her question about how has minimalism helped w with self-esteem? Well, when you simplify and when you start turning down the noise, well, you're turning down the comparisons as well. Mm -hmm. So we always talk about the advertisements, but really the magazines we look at, the TV shows we watch, the social media that we engage with, it, like you said, it's a, it's a comparison machine. Mm -hmm. So by simplifying, I think that you uh, you start to turn down that comparison machine. <clears throat> but also, when you are able to look in the mirror and be like, man, I've worked really hard to like fall in alignment with my values and, and I've worked really hard to be myself and to turn down that noise, like, wow, like I actually like who I am. Mm. So not only do you turn down the comparison noise, but you also start to feel a better sense of self because you're more confident and you feel better with your decisions, those short-term actions aligning with those long-term values. That is what gives you confidence. I mean, it's, it is amazing. Like I never even thought of minimalism syncing up with confidence at all or with self-esteem and, but it really has helped me be a confident person. Like I, I am unapologetically myself, although Sometimes I guess I am a little apologetic, but <laughs> reasonably so. <laughs> Only because I'm insecure. I'm insecure regardless. But I'll tell you though, like I've never been more confident. I've never been so, uh, so little. I've I've never had such little insecurities. I mean, I think we all are going to struggle with that, unless you're Josh, who looks in the mirror and he's like, "Damn it, why can't everyone else be like you?" <laughs> but no, I mean, uh, we all struggle with those things. So yeah, minimalism. Never even thought about it. But it mm. totally helped me get there. Mm. Totally. Let's talk to Eden. Eden, how can I set boundaries when my job involves managing multiple social media accounts for a business? Wow, I wish we had someone here who <laughs> did that. <laughs> uh, managing a business's social media adds even more temptation to check the apps constantly. So man managing a business's social media ads even more adds even more temptation to check the apps constantly. I get the same rush when a business post performs well that I do when a personal post gets a lot of likes. There's also the stressful expectation customers have of an almost immediate response to their comments and messages. Mm -hmm. As the only person managing the socials for a smallish business, this leads to me being on social media over to my personal account and mindless scrolling. So being on social media more than I'd like, plus checking the business account usually ends by switching over my personal account and mindless scrolling. Yeah. So, um, Jess, uh, what Eden is saying is she's finding that the, what she does, she manages a business like, like you do, but it, it's a gateway into her own personal social media. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the wheels come off the thing. Mm. Uh, let's talk about the first question there. How can I set boundaries when my job involves managing multiple social media accounts for a business? You manage multiple social media accounts for a business. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, we don't look at it the same way a lot of places do. Like, I'm not asking you to maximize engagement and 
click-through rates and I, I've never even used terms like this to mm -hmm. you right mm -hmm. um, I probably use them more with you than you do with me <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair but so let's um, let, let's answer that first question here how, how does she set boundaries um, personally for me what I have found to be extremely helpful number one and, and this was something that I actually started doing right when we right when I first started June 2015 is um, really just checking the comments once a day and not looking back for more because the thing is is you'll always find more it's mm -hmm. an arbitrary more it doesn't necessarily mean anything it's just going to always be there and that's one thing is i feel like i could always go to our pages and find a new notification we have like you know unlimited yes yeah, yeah yes mm -hmm. it, so so i definitely could go into it um now we allow that so like you want to check it once a day? Fine. Now, yes. her business might say, you need to check it four times a day. And if so, then that's the price of a mission. You, yes. You're hired to do this yeah. job. And if they say you need to check it four times a day, then you have to check it four times a day. Mm -hmm. But it's relegated, though. And I know that I check it. And then I can move on with the rest of my day, adding value in different ways that are not responding. So I know that in, in our conversations a lot, one thing that we talk about is the value of... Um, of not not just responding to people, but really it's it's the importance of creating something to put out there into the world. That's where the value is. The value is not responding to people. Right. And I realize, like you know, if you work in customer service and there's certain needs, and even for us, you know, we have we sell books, we have, you know, pot, you know, um, the courses that we're releasing, the podcast episode that's private. So of course, like there is a certain point at which it's customer service. But I I say I set that aside. I do that when I'm supposed to do it. And then mm -hmm. once that's done, I move on to the next thing. Cause really like the creation is where that's where the value is. Yeah. It's, it, it's not always customer service, but it's always service. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and what I mean by that is like, we're always using social media to add value. And so I think if Eden, if you're managing a, a social media account for a business, the question isn't uh, about servicing customers so much as it is how do i add value mm -hmm. part of that has to do with customer service but mm -hmm. it has to do with what you're creating and what you're putting out into the world that adds value otherwise you're just adding to the noise yeah um i, I love the idea of eden like maybe in her profile it's like hey feel free to leave a comment and i'll get back to you uh within 24 hours mm -hmm. i mean there are yeah there are some boundaries that need to be set but yeah eden whatever those boundaries are um you got to set them Hmm. I mean, right now you sound boundless. Yeah. And also I want another thing that I wanted to add to that too. Sometimes like you'll text me because we text pretty often throughout the week with social media, uh, having conversations about that. And sometimes like I won't get back to your text right away and having an obligation to somebody, especially with social media, because it's so it's live. Things are going out all the time. Like a post could go out right now. And I, I really don't know exactly what time they go out. Mm, yeah. So I think that that's probably one of the things is like it, things are always happening there. Mm -hmm. But you have to realize, I think that you your time is more valuable than just sitting there staring, you know, trying to make sure that the com like looking at everything and kind of seeing what people are saying. That's the stream thing. You can't touch every drop of water in the river. Yeah. Tara has a question for us, Ryan. There are so many social media platforms. How do I how do I identify the most appropriate platform for me so I'm not stuck creating profiles for each of the latest social media trends and then getting burned out from checking them all? Wow. I mean, so, so here's the thing. Yes, mm. you're 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 correct. There are always so new social media platforms out there. And when people ask like what do I need to be on social media? Is like, well, which platform are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Are you talking about Google Plus? Because that doesn't even exist anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Or I guess it does for brands, but not for individuals or whatever, right? And also realizing you don't own any of these platforms as well. 
um, when we were on Google Plus back in the day, I personally had 300,000 followers on Google mm -hmm. Plus. I had, I don't know why I did to deserve that, mm. but I guess was I was the just early adopter. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people followed me on Google Plus. Mm -hmm. That goes away. But even if the platform didn't go away, it could go the way of Friendster or MySpace where they are functionally irrelevant. It doesn't yeah. matter if you have... 7,000 MySpace friends, it, 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 it doesn't do anything for you anymore. And mm. so realizing that all of these things are ephemeral to a great extent. So you may have used Tumblr in the past, but it may not be appropriate for you anymore, yeah. or it might, you know, you get to decide. You Same with Twitter, same with Instagram, same with Facebook, and then new things come along, TikTok, et cetera. Not to mention the functionalities within the apps. Oh, now you got YouTube Stories, now you got Facebook Stories, now you got Facebook Live, now you have YouTube Live. Yes. I mean, there. Are, so it's not just the social media platforms itself, but even within those platforms, there are these other things that we feel pressured to use. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with using those things yeah. as long as it's adding value. In fact, uh, I know that we, for example, we were doing YouTube stories or something mm -hmm. and it wasn't working. Yeah. And we we're like, this isn't adding any value. It's taking more time yeah. uh, than what we're able to give. Right. And uh, we, we cut it out. So it's okay to do an experiment and see if it works. Um, but to just, you know, uh, obligate yourself to being on every single platform just because it's available. Well, it actually goes back to the stream. Mm -hmm. You can't you can't touch every single social media platform because there's only going to be new ones that come out. Um, yeah, and I, 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 Jess, you tell me if you agree with this, but like ultimately, yeah, you can use whatever you want. And by the way, there are certain pros and cons for using each one of these. Um, I like I, I have a personal favorite. You know, Twitter is is the one that. I get the most value from personally mm. as a yeah. reader, as a consumer of, of social media. But in terms of sending out a message, it seems to me that Instagram is the probably the platform that we get the most value from as a as the minimalists. Mm. And and so if you were to pick one, it really depends on which one works the best for you. And then you get to define what best is because number of followers doesn't mean best. Our most followers are on uh, Facebook, or like I just said, Google Plus had hundreds of thousands. That wasn't best, though. I barely ever used that thing. And so you get to identify what is best, and it's rarely based upon a metric. Best is like, what's the best way that I can add value? Mm. And so we use all these platforms. I think the three that are the most relevant, it's sort of like the, the Coke, Pepsi, and RC Cola of, of social media is Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Mm. And and I, I say if you if you're doing those three, you don't even have to do all of them, but everything else is definitely ancillary to those. Mm -hmm. But even of those three, Instagram seems to be the most relevant as of this recording. But of course, that will change in the future. Yeah, yeah I think it always changes. And one thing to keep in mind too is like depending on your business, uh, some platforms might not be most appropriate for what you do. So if you don't have a lot of like if you don't have a lot of visual content to be releasing, then Instagram might not be the most conducive platform for you to be on. And especially if it's like you're running a small business too. I mean, usually then it's like, you know, it's kind of a side thing where you're like, oh, I'm posting to social media, but really I'm doing like 700 other things to make sure that this business runs. Mm -hmm. So really making sure, in my opinion, like the vehicle has to match like the creations that you are putting out into the world because that if that doesn't match is you're you're not you're not going to be successful mm. um and then another thing that i want to mention too is if you're doing it personally also figuring out a way to enjoy it mm. and i know that that probably like is not something that's mentioned very often but like 
what platforms do you enjoy engaging on? Especially like if you're reaching out to an audience on a personal level and they're interested in you, then they're going to be interested in you through the like through the way that you want to communicate. So really focusing on that so that you'll actually be consistent is important. Um, I think it's also yeah. okay to to try to go without. Mm-hmm. I think too often we feel compelled that we need to do these things. Mm-hmm. We need to get on TikTok. We need to start using reels on, on Instagram. Or as Ryan said, YouTube has stories, so thus we must fill the space. Yes. This is very similar to buying a house with too much square footage and then feeling compelled to fill that room with, you know, well, I gotta put a couch in there and a TV or whatever. No, you don't have to put anything there. Mm-hmm. In fact, you're, cluttering the -hmm. space if you just feel compelled to put something there. I would rather you do nothing or do one thing really, really well. Mm -hmm. Use Twitter really, really well. I think about Desus and Mero. You guys are familiar with Desus and Mero, I'm sure. But they got famous by being really good at Twitter. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that one thing they did really, really well. Of course, they're, they have other things now. They have a Showtime show that's in its third season now mm-hmm. because they got really good at Twitter. And they did that one thing well. That's a great point. Like, if you're adding value, if you're doing something well, like, people are going to notice. It doesn't matter what platform you have. Now, maybe someone will hear about you sooner than later. Uh, you know, like, if you're on YouTube versus not being on YouTube, but it doesn't matter if you're just on Twitter. Mm-hmm. If you're doing good work, people will eventually hear about you. Yeah. The platform doesn't make you popular. Mm. The 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 work makes you popular. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too another thing that I wanted to mention too is also just being respectful to your audience. Like if you're just putting anything out on any network, oh. then your audience is going isn't going to respect you because you're not respecting their time. Mm. And I think really um we I, I think that people tend to treat others like they're dumber than they actually are. Mm-hmm. So if we can like, if I like to focus on giving our audience the dignity of knowing that their time is valuable and they have other ways that they can spend it. So I really, I think what it comes down to as a, as a company in terms of how to use it, um, a lot of it comes down to respect and it's how do you respect your audience and how do you add value to their lives without distracting them from the important things? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we got a question from Sonia here. Yeah, uh, real quick, Tara, you could also just give yourself a limit. Like, just say you're only going to be on three pl- platforms, and then mm-hmm. set that boundary and follow it. All right, Sonia, <coughs> excuse me. Do you think going back to a flip phone and not having the temptation of your smartphone at your fingertips all the time would help with the social media dilemma and fear of missing out? This is like I I keep talking about this. Uh-huh. Why haven't I done it yet, Josh? Yeah. Why, I, why haven't I gone back to a flip phone yet? I, I don't see the necessity for doing it, honestly. Yeah. Like, wh- what's the problem with the smartphone? Stoke will experiment, honestly, is what no, I was thinking. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I think it's fine. But, like, I guess my, my, my question is, what's the point? What's the difference? Here's, here's a better question. Hmm. What's the difference between a flip phone and a fart, fart phone? Patent <laughs> 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 pending. Tag on it. <laughs> she got to it before me. <laughs> So what's the difference between a flip phone and a smartphone that is stripped of the distractions? Um, the difference is accessibility. If I had only a flip phone, mm-hmm. then you would, and most people, if they knew I had a flip phone, they would understand they don't have access to me mm-hmm. as if I had a smartphone, which, uh, which, yeah, whether it's... How so? They can still text or call you. 
Yeah. Um, like what well, I mean, the, the difference is like people, their expectations are different. That's so that's what it is. People's expectations people are different. Whether or not you have a flip phone or a, or a smartphone. Though. Well, no, like the people who I talk to on a regular basis, they would know if I had a flip phone or not. Think about Leo Babalta. He has a flip phone. Does he? He used to. Maybe maybe he doesn't anymore. I don't think he does, but he maybe he does. That's but, my point. Right, but what? Know. But I know that if I think about getting a hold of Leo, uh-huh. that I'm in my head, I'm like, oh, he's got a flip phone. Twitter's probably not the best way to get a hold of him. Right, but like yeah. also, if you have a smartphone without Twitter on mm-hmm. it, you can set that expectation as well. Yeah. Uh, my point is that like, if you're talking about rendering the smartphone into a tool the same way a flip phone would be a tool, mm-hmm. the question is then what is most effective for you? Mm-hmm. And then I think you can accomplish... Here, it, the problem that I have with this experiment mm-hmm. is that it requires acquiring another thing in order to right. simplify. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. No, you can totally... You can strip the smartphone and make it as useless or yeah. use, useful <laughs> yeah. as a flip phone. That's a good, yeah, that's yeah. A good distinction, by the way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or uh, if you're going to do this experiment, I'd rather, especially since it is an experiment, I, I, I would, if I'm in your shoes, Sonia, I'd just get rid of the phone for a week or a month and, and altogether. All and mm. in doing that, you will learn a lot more about yourself and your habits and you can bring it back in in a stripped fashion where it actually is a tool, I feel like. Yeah. I have a question Jess. for you. Do you feel like those expectations are of yourself or are the expectations that other people have of you? Because I feel like if I was no, to have... I'm, I'm, yeah. I, like if I have a phone and I know that it only has... It has certain limitations and I kind of feel like I can't go past that limitation. Yeah. So I put less pressure on myself. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think it's probably multifaceted. I think in my head... It is my own expectations. Um, however, I think it's the temptation of having the smartphone. Like that is what the f- a flip. Oh, yes. Thank you for helping me clarify this. A flip phone takes away all the temptation. Mm. And ultimately, that's that's the problem for me is that having the smartphone. I don't have Twitter on my phone. But guess what? I can go to you know Safari and I can go to Twitter and check my Twitter. Yeah. Now... It causes friction. I don't go to Twitter nearly as often. Um, same thing with uh, email. I don't have email on my phone, but guess what? I can go to Chrome on my phone, and I can totally check my email on my phone if I have to. So I'm wondering if you can delete the web browsers, though. Yeah, maybe. But again, you're, you're right. Yeah. But the temptation—that's the thing. Right. Like having that, having that constant temptation. For example, you don't have social media on your phone. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, you want to post something on Instagram. Yes, I've downloaded the app. You got to download the app. Yeah. You post the picture. You put it back. But the, because you have the option, you even though you do a, such a good job of not having that on your phone, like you'll still, the temptation is still there. You'll still use the option. Sure. Even yeah. So with a flip phone, like you don't have that option of like, well, I'll just download the app and post a picture and delete it real quick. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really. Um, the temptation, and that's what she's talking about. She's talking about having this smartphone at your fingertips because that's what that is. Mm-hmm. It's having all that temptation at your fingertips. Yes, you could literally take everything off the phone except for phones and text, and it would be just as, again, useful or useless as a cell phone. Yeah. But the temptation, no matter what, is still going to be there. And I got to tell you, like, I am, I mean, I can only be tempted so many times before I finally give in. Yeah, I think yeah, it depends sense. on like the hard, like the hard lines that you require for yourself, and I think that's that's so personal to each individual person that like 
some people like I like I appreciate that hard line. I set my phone aside, and I I can forget about it too, and it's mm-hmm. nice. But it would be nice to have that limitation. And sometimes I look at that light phone, and I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, like, being right. able to attach it, and then I don't have to change any numbers, and I have the option and screenless Saturday. And yeah. but ooh, the light phone. Oh yeah, because it's like a Bluetooth connected it, thing. Yeah, it yeah. transfers so that your phone can still receive calls from. Yeah. Wow. So I, Again, the. Uh, I, the only the only thing I struggle with is buying a new thing in order to simplify. Oh, I totally agree. But don't man. you do that? Don't don't isn't that every kind of goal of every purchase? If if you're trying to simplify your life and live most simply and effectively, like isn't that kind of the way? No, it shouldn't things? be. I mean, I think we should be able to simplify Expe- by. I think it, I think yeah. you want to subtract by subtracting, not by adding. Addition <laughs> by I subtraction. What, yeah, but I guess what I'm saying is, is it's yeah, value adding. Bit. Like regardless, if, like, I mean, if the ultimate goal is to have yet less than yes, then that wouldn't necessarily be in alignment. But if the ultimate yeah. goal is for it to add value to your life, like we've talked about, like mm-hmm. I feel like it's, it's a tool. I and, see what you're saying. Like if I had this orb. Like then it is a tool. Sorry, and this yes. orb, and I was like, and if you touch this orb, you're gonna have a better life. Mm-hmm. And I hand it to you, and you touch it. You're like, oh my god, my life is better. Yeah, and it legitimately is. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, get the freaking orb. Yes. Um, life changing orb, patent or, or, pending, or get access <laughs> to the orb, right? And, and right. I yeah. Think, yeah. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Without needing to consume the orb, all you have to do is touch the orb. Then you, what you simply need mm. is access. That's there. Good point. Yeah. I think the problem with with couching it in in value we have to be really careful about that because we don't want something just because it adds value we also have to determine it's the best use of those resources totally right mm-hmm. yes and Certainly. and so i mean i think you could do this experiment also instead of saying flip phone you could say landline phone yeah um mm-hmm. and, and so there are different versions in fact I, I i skew toward that so you still have a phone yeah mm-hmm. but it doesn't allow me it, it I don't get to keep it in my pocket when I leave the house. You feel like you're cheating if you were to do that. Like, mm-hmm. it seems to me, like, like I feel like, I, th- I think that Ryan and I probably have more personalities that are a little bit more like, like a little bit more like bull in a china shop and twitchy versus yeah. I think, so I think, I don't think that that tool would necessarily serve you in the same way that it would serve, like, me because for me, I'm like, I kind of, I, I would like that hard line because I kind of, I feel like I kind of, I don't yeah. need it, but it would be helpful in the sense that like, I know that I struggle with it. So yeah. it's kind of like when I'm doing yoga and I'm like, I need a block. It sucks to have to grab a block. But at the same time, I know that like if my poses are going to be better, then I'm going to grab it. You need a block. Sure. And but, like but, just to grab a stack of books is not going to do it. Like, yeah, sometimes like you need the block. But to Josh's point, yeah, we're not encouraging anyone. We're not We're not putting a hard line down right now and saying, no, if you buy a flip phone, your life will be better. Certainly. So, Certainly. Or worse. Or worse. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the thing is, is like, yeah. You don't want to. There's always a good excuse to bring a new thing into your life. Of course. So you yeah. got to be honest with yourself and ask you if you're like, you know, using the excuse or not. When I look at the flip phone, the, the question comes to my mind is like, but does that really eliminate the distraction? If what right. we're trying to do is get rid of distractions, then just get rid of the phone altogether. Mm-hmm. Get a landline phone or go with no phone at all for a period of time. If you really want to eliminate the distraction, actually get rid of it. Yeah. Because. With the thing in your pocket, you still have the texts and the phone calls and all these other distractions, and, yeah. and so you have to you have to assess whether or not that is the best route for you. We have Absolutely. a question here from Kevin. A while ago, Ryan, that's me, <laughs> noted unfollowing everyone on social media. I'd like to hear more how that went. Was there pushback from people? Was it refreshing? How do you go about rebuilding his list? Um. That was a great experiment. In fact, it reminds me I probably should do that again. So I got the idea from Jason Zook 
who does a social media fast. In fact, he, since this, uh, yeah, since I did the social media fast, um, that Jason Zook kind of modeled for me, he left Twitter altogether mm. um, because it was kind of, uh, it, it was just, it was more of a pain in the butt than it was something that added value to him. But anyway, so I saw Zook who did this. He unfollowed everyone and he was like, you know, no offense, I'm just going to unfollow everyone and I'll be back in a month to follow some people. Well, for me, my news feed was so just filled with crap I didn't care about. Mm-hmm. And people have like said to me, well, like, you know, you can mute certain people. I don't want to have that's to me. That's like a fake following. Yeah, I'm following you on Instagram, but I don't look at any of your stuff. I mean, this seems kind of disingenuous to me. Um, So I wanted to clear up my news feed. I still wanted to use those platforms. But what I did is when I went on the platform, I would go and seek people out. So it's like, oh, I wonder what Jess is up to. I'm going to go check out her Instagram. Oh, I wonder what Milburn is up to. I wonder what Mahalik is up to. Sean Mahalik is up to. So like I intentionally, I had to think of whose feed I wanted to see. Mm -hmm. And then I would look them up and look at their newsfeed. So then by the end of the month, I was very clear on who was adding value and who wasn't adding value. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't know how many people I follow right now, but now I'm like back at that point where it's starting to creep up again. And I should probably do this again. But here's the thing. I would do it differently than the way I did it last time because last time I just put out a message I mimicked exactly what Jason Zook did hey I'm having a social media detox yeah doing a little bit of a fast I'm unfollowing everyone no hard feelings and it wasn't a lot of people but some people like responded back like you're so pompous or you know oh look at me I'm not I'm unfollowing you. you have so many followers you can't even follow one or two people back I mean there were a lot of negative reactions yeah and you know i probably shouldn't have but i i engaged with it but i like what i would always reply with was hey thanks for the support (laughs) (laughs) because really it's like it's really kind of being like hey you're kind of a dick for not supporting me on this yeah but looking at it through a different lens you know a year later i don't even know how long ago that was um I, i would approach it differently and again mimicking jason zook he did this on instagram where it was like Hey, have you ever, uh, it was like a slideshow on his, he posted like a slideshow and it was, you know, Hey, have, have you ever thought that you were on your phone too much? And then you go to the next one and it's like, you know, it's basically like an explanation of, you know, Hey, I'm so, so therefore I'm going to do a social media detox. It doesn't mean I hate any of you. It's just a matter of me taking care of myself. So I certainly could have approached it differently and I will approach it differently when that time comes again. I think you probably don't need to explain yourself if you're going to do it, uh, Kevin. Uh, if, if you're thinking about unfollow, just unfollow everyone. It's it's not a big deal. And then yeah. refollow as you feel compelled. And uh, I love what Ryan does because I find I do that even now, even though I follow you know a handful of people. I There are certain accounts I seek out where I'm, I, I'm like, oh, I wonder what this person is saying about what's going on right now Mm -hmm. i will say this about the news i think the news is generally bad for you and i think (sighs) it's worse than ever i haven't looked at it in like two weeks but i think it's probably never been good for you Mm -mm. i don't think i i think the news is probably i don't i think we've evolved in a way that we can't we can't handle the suffering of the nearly eight billion people that are on this planet Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean that we lack compassion it means that too much empathy, we all want to have some amount of empathy and yeah. that can be a good thing to mm-hmm. to to feel someone else's pain, but we can also be destabilized. It can be crippling. Yeah, by too much, too of much it. empathy. Yeah. And I think the news has never been 
really a good thing. And I'm really learning this more and more. And, and I would encourage you to avoid the news. Dude, if there's one thing that I could like give people listening to this, it's a recommendation to stop looking at news just for a week. I haven't looked at it. In, I, did, I stopped for a week. It's been two weeks now. Mm. And it's funny because every once in a while, I'll get on like to check Twitter. And my routine is like, okay, well, I'm, I'm already on the browser. So let's go to CNN. Let's go to Fox News. Let's go to Breitbart. Let's go to BBC. Because, you know, I like to make sure that I get all the different opinions. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah, not just all going the lies. To, right, exactly. <laughs> not just watching, you know, what, what makes my ideology right. Um, yeah. I, and so I'll even find myself starting to type in like, you know, CNN.com. Mm -hmm. And I catch myself. I'm like, what am, what am I doing? Sometimes I'll hit enter and it, the, it pops up and I got instant like, <gasps> what's going on? But like, all I can say is my life has changed dramatically from not looking at the media, looking at the news. Yeah, I think there's a ton of value in that. I think one of the reasons that it's so valuable is because when we're looking at our phone, we're looking at information. And I think really what it comes down to is we're looking at information because we think it will improve our lives. Like mm. as primal people, we're thinking the more information that we that I have, um, the better decisions I'll be able to make and the better my life will be. But really at the end of the day, haha, ha, uh, mm. these, uh, most of what we're consuming, especially on the news is irrelevant to our lives. And, and I think one of the things that made it easier for me to walk away from reading the news, because I was reading it a lot earlier this year, um, is the fact that most of the things that are coming out on the news are not relevant to my life. I'm mm. not, it's not going to change the decisions that I'm making. I'm still probably going to make most of the same decisions. And if there's something that is going to impact me, most likely the people that love me are going to say something like, hey, just so you know. Like, By the way, you're going to find out about the... Hey, the there's a hurricane coming. Yeah. Hey, or even, you <laughs> yes. know, even like when we were living in Chicago, I, I received notifications from Lori Lightfoot, the mayor, saying that, you know, this is what's required of you. Yeah. So, I mean, some people don't have phones. And so, you know, some of those things or I, I guess some people don't have access to media. So just having the phone and knowing that, like, the information will get there. It's okay. Mm -hmm. And but by the way, um, that the the news, I know people will say like, well, this is not sustainable if everyone tuned out of the news. Guess what? <laughs> it's not going to happen. No. Everyone is plugged in. You don't have to stay plugged in as well. Is it not sustainable though? If everyone stopped looking at the news? It doesn't matter. It's just like right. saying if everyone stopped breathing tomorrow. Yeah. You're not. Right. It, 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 yeah, okay. It's a dumb hypothetical when I'm people just, bring it up. I'm just thinking that there was a point in time though where there there wasn't this much news in fact i would argue that there was no news at a certain point of course pre-civilization <laughs> we live no news and yeah. but, but the, the point is we live in civilization there is news most people are going to be plugged into it so what it doesn't mean you yep. have to participate as well we're going to skip dina's question because we already talked a lot about screen time All right. and things to do but let's go to cynthia's question to round out mm -hmm. everything here i'm thinking of starting my own youtube channel spiritual in nature as people with a lot of social media experience, what are your thoughts on disabling the comments section? The world seems so volatile right now. Not sure I'm up to dealing with trolls. Ooh. Well, if you're not willing to deal with trolls, Cynthia, you shouldn't start a YouTube channel, period. Whether you disable the comments or not. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about why that might be valuable. So here's the thing. Mm. I don't think trolls are necessarily valuable or what we call we refer to as seagulls, right? Uh, or even if you're being charitable, you could call them critics. So critics bring criticism. Mm -hmm. They show you the problem. They don't show up with a solution in any way, right? Mm -hmm. Or if they do show up with a solution, it's a really terrible one, right? You should kill yourself. Right. <laughs> it's not a solution, right? Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop 
commenting that on our YouTube videos. <laughs> they know it's you. It's not anonymous. <laughs> um, so, Jess, let, let's talk a bit about um, someone who started a YouTube channel. Now, we have comments on all of our YouTube videos. We don't have comments on, say, our blog. We used to back in the day. There's even an essay on... Uh, from 2011, I think when we turned the, the comments off eventually. And it just got to a point where on our blog it was untenable. There was a lot of spam there as well. And we mm. didn't have the spam filters to, to sort of uh, deal with it. And uh, also, I, I found it to be a bit cluttering on on our website itself. But on YouTube, in fact, that's why we end the minimal episodes. If you want to comment on this episode, go to youtube.com slash the minimalist. Is because I do think there is a place for community and commentary yeah. there and i think it's uh in a way it's almost an appendix to the conversation right i think so i think that leaving the cons like the comments up is valuable i actually started a youtube channel too i didn't tell you guys mm -hmm. but um <laughs> i i haven't really shared it with a lot of people yet but i, I think i'll be leaving the comments on for that um, and part of the reason for that is like i think that if you're going to be participating in the conversation um then you have to be, will be willing to listen to and, mm. and and maybe um that listening doesn't necessarily need to happen on the minimalist.com i think that's a smart move because really sometimes you kind of want your final product to be your final product and not have seagulls shitting on it well you don't want so if you, if you have a painting hanging in a lacma you don't want people to put like post-it notes on it exactly mm. here's some here's by the, yeah exactly or uh, sometimes we'll get the comment it's really interesting by the way i fixed this for you and they'll like insert something and you're like no actually it doesn't it doesn't need fixing it's out there it's <laughs> as is it's it's the way it's supposed to be yeah um so i think number one like social media is a conversation so when you're putting something out there and you're saying don't talk back to me mm. that's it's really elitist. tough it is elitist yeah. and really like what you're saying is is your ideas don't need to be my ideas don't need to be tested by yours yeah and really like that's why i'm on the internet is because yes. i want my ideas tested by other people mm, so right. i think you know by removing comments you're really removing an opportunity for a learning experience for everybody and truly mm -hmm. one of the greatest um things that i've i heard that i try and pay attention to is that like treat every person like they are a teacher that's coming into your life to teach you something even if like they come to your house and shit on your doorstep. What can you learn, <laughs> you know, from that person? Uh -huh. and, and I think that uh, social media can be like that. Um, mm. So we talk a lot about not shouting to, into the void, but whispering to those who are listening. Yeah. Um, and I think that when you whisper to people, they're going to very often mirror back to you the way that you're speaking to them because that's what we do as humans. Mm. So I think if you try and whisper to your audience and try and communicate something meaningful, then you know, the comments might be a little rough, but it's okay. Like, you guys are still here. And you guys have had some rough comments. Dude. Sure. You know, and that's all right. That's and, all yeah. right. And by the way, it, it, uh, we were just talking about this the other day, Jess, but like, uh, we try not to dive into ideologies. Mm. And, and there are people I'll never respond to if, if there's dogma associated with it. Like, the best way for me to have compassion for that person is to not engage and, and increase their suffering. There are people with ideologies. If we have a carnivore on the podcast, for example, there are certain vegans, not most of them, but there are certain ones that just get really upset by, uh, by what's going on. But the opposite is also true. If I have a vegan on the podcast, which, by the way, we've had far more, it, it, it was just stunning to me, we've had far more vegans than right. we have had carnivores. we have had, a count. <laughs> we've had one carnivore ever on our podcast. We've yeah. had probably a dozen. Oh, oh yeah. One Jess, carnivore ish. There you go. Um, so, so, um, but we've had just a ton of vegans on the podcast, and 
I'm not interested. I'm interested in their ideas, but I'm not interested in ideology. Yeah. And I think the same is true with when you get into religious discussions or political discussions, uh, any any sort of uh, dogma laden discussion. I want to avoid that because there's no. There's no, I see your point of view, you see my point of view. Yeah. It's blaming, shaming, and naming, which mm-hmm. I, I don't want any of that. There, there's no there's no real value in that. But where there is value, Jess, you've, you've seen this, Ryan, you've seen this, I've certainly seen it, and Cynthia, I think, will see this, is, yes, there will be critics, there will be seagulls, there will be trolls, but you're going to form some calluses, some much-needed calluses. Yeah. If you start doing pull-ups on a metal bar with the uh, with the grooves in it, the striations, you start to get these calluses on your hands, mm-hmm. but you need those because they make you stronger. Yes. And no. if, if you can do that with social media, realize that some of the feedback you get will actually help you shape your decisions. And ultimately, you're not creating by committee, but someone's going to bring up something you didn't think of. And you're like, damn, I should have thought of that. And by doing that, you're going to make something better in the future. Yeah, not to mention you're going to make your your point, your argument, whatever it is you're putting out there, you're going to make it stronger. Because mm-hmm. the last thing you want is to put an argument up there that 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 is essentially a straw man. Like you want to steal man your argument. I used yeah. to hate like, you know, the article in The New Yorker. Like mm-hmm. that really bothered me for a second where I'm like, they just don't understand. They're looking at one little aspect of minimalism mm-hmm. and, you know, they're, they're taking that one aspect and they're ripping it to shreds. But then when I really look at what that has done for myself is I can look at that article and say, oh, like they're just wrong. Mm-hmm. And I feel really good about what we do. And I don't need, you know, that author. I don't need her to tell me that I'm doing a good job. In fact, her telling me that I'm doing a bad job actually makes me question whether or not I'm doing a bad job. Mm. And I can look in the mirror and be like, are you doing a bad job? Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, and that goes with any criticism. It's it's really helpful actually to, I mean, you know, there are some seagulls that are just like, go kill yourself. There's nothing there that's <laughs> gonna strengthen, yeah. you know, our, our philosophy or our content. I had a vegan once say, I hope someone eats your daughter. Um, <laughs> and you just said me too <laughs> it was uh, pure compassion um, <sighs> here's the thing you're never Wait, as- was that their username pure compassion <laughs> <laughs> probably um, you're, you're never as good as you're never as bad as they say you are but you're never as good as they say you are either yeah. and, and I get it the cavils will stick with you Some you'll have 99 phenomenal comments You'll have one that will just fuck up your day. Yes. At first. But that's developing those calluses. And now when someone, I mean, that's a weird sort of death threat. Um, I hope someone eats your daughter. But like, to me is like, oh, what I'm seeing is that person suffering. Yeah. And and um, I can have compassion for it. Now, the compassionate thing to do there is block them to not continue their suffering mm-hmm. uh, and not being in the presence of their suffering. That's not something I want empathy for. Mm. I don't want to empathize with they want, they want my daughter to be edible. Um, <laughs> and so, um, I, but I can have compassion for that person. But realize that some people are going to say some really bad things sometimes mm-hmm. it's it's actually a very small percentage by the way mm-hmm. 99 yeah. percent of the people don't mm-hmm. comment at all right. think about that mm. the one percent who do 
99% of them positive positive right mm-hmm. and then the one percent it's negative you're gonna have to just take that for what it is it's the cost of admission but it's also the cost of getting better the one percent of the one percent that's a good way of looking at it. that that helps yeah. me even more because it's like well a I know that that one percent of the one percent they're they're in a fake world they would never on my face be like go kill yourself mm-hmm. And they also don't have a platform too. I think that that's yeah. a huge issue too, oh, is yeah. that they don't really have a formal platform. So I think that especially when they're upset and they're commenting, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's because they also have this like frustration because you have this place where you can say something, mm. but they don't. So they need to upend your comments with something that they feel is logical. So really, I think, yeah, compassion is really, I think what all of this mm. comes down to and just knowing that somebody just like you is on the other end of the screen that has those same emotions. I, yeah. yeah, I love that that who who talks about the arena do you, do you remember who that is is it that's seth godin or maybe it's rob bell about basically how you know for all intents and purposes you and i josh were in the arena and we were fighting it's theodore roosevelt yeah yeah and then we have you know you have the uh the spectators uh-huh but then you got the people who aren't even in the arena yeah and a lot of the times the people trolling they're not even in the arena i, I will say one thing about this though hmm. there's the occasional exception even to this there are some, there are some Banksy esque trolls. There are some really good trolls out there. Oh yeah, yeah. And so like, I I, I don't want to name any here. They yeah. know who they are if they listen to it. Yeah. Uh, but what I'll say is, most trolls are just terrible. Not they don't add any value at all. Mm-hmm. Some trolls are all almost. Um, there's a few, and I can think of a few who they they do such a good job with trolling yeah. that they're actually adding to the conversation in a way they they're a, they're the necessary court gesture or um cynic even like i'm not i'm not for cynicism but there is a, a school philosophy the cynics yeah. w- where where there it's required in a way it, it's part of the ecosystem of the internet and mm. the people who do that well i actually applaud them mm. The sad thing is, is when like Ryan tries to be Michael Jordan, he looks silly, right? Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> there are Michael Jordans of trolling. I wouldn't even call those people trolls. They, they need to actually be revered as, they're a particular kind of critic that I, I do revere. You're encouraging people to now be the Michael Jordan of trolls. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> my, my point is you probably can't dunk. And, uh, and so like, not let alone... You know, have a crossover, or a fadeaway, or or whatever. Like you, you don't have that in your arsenal. Yeah. So don't be the cynic. It, it's it's it, it's not going to add any value. There are some people who are predisposed to doing really well with uh, trolling other people, mm-hmm. and bravo to you for that. Um, I actually I see it as an art project in a way. Mm. But most people try to mimic that, and they they can't do it at all. Yeah. I want to end with this very short blog post from Seth Godin that I think is a good response to Cynthia. It's called "Here I Am." We'll put a link to this in the show notes. It's only three sentences. When we say "Here I made this," we're not seeking credit. We're taking responsibility to be seen, to learn, to own it, to do better next time. Hiding is too easy. And hiding is a trap. Cynthia, I don't want you to hide. That's a trap. That's a trap that says everything I make is perfect and is not able to be criticized. Don't hide. If you hide, you'll never get better. Yeah. Sharing it, though, you're saying, here, I made this. I'm not seeking credit. 
but taking responsibility for what you made. And leaving those comments on means I'm taking responsibility for I made for the thing I made, warts mm-hmm. and all. Mm-hmm. Jessica, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. Yeah, it was good to have you. Yeah, it's cool. Thanks. All right, y'all. Love people. Use things. See you next time. Bye. The minimalists. <laughs>